Welcome to C-Suite Radio. Idly hey! Welcome to another episode of The Brett Allen Show. Prepare to be astonished! A pop culture podcast. Join Brett Weekly as he interviews your favorite celebrities from film, <gasps> oh, television, back in business, baby. comedy, and much more. Inconceivable! Plus, you never know who will stop by. Dude, we are so going to party. Now, here's your host, Brett Allen. Welcome in. Happy Monday, Tuesday. I don't know what day it is. Every day seems to be running together. Uh, you are listening to another episode of the Brett Allen Show, a pop culture podcast where we interview your favorite celebrities, comedians from television and film and nefarious other places. I love talking to comedians. I got to be honest, if you look at my podcast feed, you'll see I talk to a lot of comics and it's because I find them so fascinating. And today we have a comedy legend. We are chatting with Ron James, and he has a brand new book coming out on Double Day Canada, September 28th, all over the map, Rambles and Ruminations from the Canadian Road. Fantastic book, Ron. Thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Well, this book is great. We were kind of joking um, <laughs> before we started recording how I don't know if it's a joke or not, but lately, you know, the last year and a half has been insane and we're all kind of in the same boat now. Everything's burning down or it's too hot or too cold. How have you been during all of this time? Because I know you're in Canada, so things have been slightly different. Are you guys fairly back to normal now or what's the scoop? Uh, getting close. I mean, you know, the Delta variance is, is rising, but uh it, we really didn't believe there's only pockets that have politicized uh, PPEs and, and mask wearing in Canada, unlike okay. uh, 90 million uh, in America who yes. decided that uh, me trumps we and well, let me trump we all you want. But when you're face first on a hospital floorway gagging on your own mucus, it's going to be pretty hard to sing Battle Hymn of the Republic. So uh, it, we really didn't get that um, that polarized here. Uh, that being said, uh, as a live performer, we were all in the same boat. Um, everything shut down. We pulled the drawbridge up uh, March 14th, 2020, uh, four lockdowns later. Um, I was doing shows from my living room, streaming them. And um, I did very well. I, I used to have my New Year's specials on CBC that drew 1.4 million viewers every New Year's. And um, so I thought, well, the audience might be out there for a live New Year's show. They've been in their pajamas all year, roaming around the house through lockdown. And, you know, why not sit on the couch and, you know, um, have a gummy and watch the show? So they did. And, uh, <laughs> I love it. You know, we did 4,000 uh, viewers on New Year's Eve and uh, another one in March. But in the process of that, I, the silver lining for me was uh, the ability to finish this book that Penguin Random House uh, is launching September the 28th. And I believe it's going to be on the shelves in America, uh, uh, Barnes and Noble, September the 28th as well. Um, you know, how much a book with Canadian in its title is going to fly off the shelves in the land of liberty is yet to be seen. But, uh, you know, thanks to the Jonas publicity firm, I'm talking to you. And uh, I've got another half a dozen interviews lined up. And so I'm looking forward to it because... Uh, the days I chased the American dream in another incarnation 
were instrumental in siring my Canadian dream. <laughs> I love it. I love that shirt, by the way. It just makes me in a good mood by chance. If you can't see this right now, uh, he's got a very nice Hawaiian shirt that just kind of is got a calming presence to it. The old fashioned yes. kind, bro. What's that? The old fashioned kind. It's the one they wore from here to eternity. The real one. <laughs> Not the fake ones or yeah. the trendy ones. No, I love it. Well, let's talk about this book because it is just fantastic. And it's really just a culmination of a lot of different stories and experiences that you've had as a comedian and just overall types of things. I've had the chance to read it and I love it. But for those who have not had the opportunity, Ron, what is your hope and what is your idea that people will get from this book when they do have the chance to read it? That life is all about the long haul and uh, you got to make every day matter, period. Um, the book embraces the mysteries of people in place, the epiphanies and lessons learned along the way. I, I know the phrase uh, has been overused over the last 40 years, but follow your bliss. You know, I've got, I've got two quotes at the beginning of that book. It's the Joseph Campbell quote, follow your bliss which every comedian has chosen to do, much to their parents' chagrin, I'm sure, at one point or another. Uh, although um, you can go to school for it now, which was amazing. I just had to get beat up in school in order to become one. And um, the other one is Billy Conley. I met him at Just for Laughs years ago. And uh, after I'd come back from Los Angeles, I, I went there to chase the sitcom dream in the early 90s with my family. I started at Second City in okay. Toronto and... Mm, uh, created a television series there called uh, My Talk Show. And uh, it was sold to Ron Howard's company and it was syndicated across America to independent channels back in the 90s. I mean, that was our ticket into America, right? And uh, we were in Newsweek on Tuesday, hailed as the cult show to watch. We were canceled on Thursday. And Monday, I was just deep in a hole in my buddy's uh, father's landscaping company on Robert Urich's front yard who just played Jake <laughs> Boone on Lonesome Dove miniseries. And uh, I was out of work for a year and two months. But it was during that time that I decided to start checking out the coffee house scene in LA. And it was in its uh, infancy at that point. So I throw my name in the hat with 30 other hopefuls and started doing amateur nights. But I started writing in those days uh, what would become my first one-man show up and down in shaky town, one man's journey through the California dream. And I began to share the stage with the illegitimate spawn of what I was sure were the Charles Manson clan who wandered down from their Topanga Canyon Warrens looking for the love that Charlie never gave. And here I was a Canadian whose roots were Nova Scotia, uh, a province on the Atlantic seaboard where we had far more in common with Boston and the New England States than we did with central Canada. And so the American dream had always percolated with me as a kid when I'd go camping with my family and see your countrymen pull into the national parks in uh, Northern Nova Scotia in Airstream trailers. So you were almost like, you know, gods who appeared from Mount Olympus. And um, as an impressionable kid, way back in an era when, you know, I mean, we didn't even have a color TV because uh, dad didn't think it would last. It was a fad. You'd watch the wonderful world of Disney and know that, wow, there's something going on down there that's pretty cool. 
I always called America the land of cool stuff because you could order a two-man submarine from the back of your DC comic book that was good for up to under six feet of water. And the only thing you can get in Canada in the wintertime was pneumonia. And so um, the other, so it was always pressured by me when I became a comedian, when I came back from LA and started developing my stand-up act rather than leave, stay with the improv world, which I always found fleeting. And you always had to filter your ideas through six other people. Although I've been with the company for 10 years and I learned great standards with them and did many episodes of SCTVs uh, as a guest starring a presence of a young actor. When I found stand-up, I wanted to embrace the mysteries of people and place in my nation of origin because so many people were doing it so well in the States. I thought there might be a niche market for me here. And there was. But people kept telling me all the time, you're not going to have a real career unless you break into the States. Well, I'd thrown my name in the hat at Bud Friedman's Melrose Improv with 428 other people and got on stage in Santa Monica for five minutes, three months later with 30 other people. I thought this is ridiculous. I mean, it's, uh, I'll never get seen. And I had a family to feed and support. He wanted another kid. So I came back here, but people kept saying, oh, Ron, you got to jettison your content. You got to jettison your content if you want to go south of the border. And I said, I learned so many great lessons in America when I was there that I could apply here. And I began to learn and appreciate that 2,000 people laughing in a theater in a snowstorm in February in Edmonton, Canada, sounded exactly the same as 2,000 people laughing in Las Vegas when it's warm. So just the fundamental reward of hearing laughter and actualizing the life force and connecting the dots in this chaos we're all walking through in some language of laughter that made sense of it all had just as much merit. And so I stayed and two television series I created and started in and nine specials later. And now the book, uh, it's proved true. But Billy Conley, I met him at Just for Laughs. And I said, how did somebody, how did a Glaswegian welder become an international comedy sensation? And he plucked that cigar from his teeth and he looked at me with defiance in his eyes and said, that's a question about fame. Fuck fame. Sing your song. Just sing your song. And I think for so long, fame has been the validator of a comedian's words, right? Comedian. Sure. You're not really there until you've touched the garment, until you've got the grail. And laughs are laughs. And I think so many of us feel like we're failures because we haven't gotten there. Uh, and that's, I mean, I get just as much joy now playing for 500 people in the theater as I do for 5,000 at a casino. It's still the show. It's still laughter. And it still makes me feel good. I get great joy from it. It's like that great moment in the Seinfeld, uh, doc years ago, comedian, when Orny Adams is whining at the end of the bar, I just want to slap him. And, uh, oh, I'm not famous. I'm not good. People don't think I'm doing that much. And Seinfeld just looks at him and says, you're doing what you want, aren't you? And that's it. 
follow your bliss, sing your song. And uh, the quote I have from Billy at the beginning of the book is, chase fame, see what that does to your soul. So it's got to be about the work. It's got to be about the work and making sense of the planet and connecting the dots. And for me anyway, it might sound a little maudlin and corny in a profession that <laughs> feeds on a certain cynical perspective. But I like people be leaving the theater feeling a hell of a lot lighter than when they walked in. Yeah. I mean, it, you don't want to go to a comedy club or a theater to be bummed out, um, which can happen. Unfortunately, I'm very curious. I have a follow-up question kind of going back to what you said. So you came to the States to try and do things here. Uh huh. I was, uh, I was cast in a show for imagine TV. Okay. Okay. And you were doing stand up here, but you, you weren't doing stand up here, but it was, it was more competitive here than where you were is what you're saying. Yeah. I, I was a journeyman actor. I had a family to feed and I did what everybody does. And I put about this in the book, you know, I mean, you know, you go down there with the hopes you're going to land the grail of a role in a sitcom. And uh, that, of course, depends on so many other factors besides your talent. Sure. And uh, so I was uh, I was a foot soldier. I was a foot soldier in the trenches. Okay. And wow. so I'd go get commercials I'd audition for them and either get them or I wouldn't. But I'd make money. I had a family to feed. And in the meantime, during that period of time, uh, I started to write and I brought it home and uh, yeah, but the competitive arena, that carnivores arena of Los Angeles really made me stronger. It was my crucible and it was um, instrumental. Uh, and the ironically, the motivating factor in, in siring my Canadian dream. I love it. I love it. So at that moment, things clicked and you go, okay, this is going to be my path to this career, like where I'm going to grow the most. Although LA was not what you maybe expected, but you did it because it made you a better person. And then you knew, okay, this is the direction that I'm going to take yeah. to not necessarily like you're looking for fame or success necessarily, but like you said, the Orny Adams thing, I know what you're talking about. You know, it's kind of interesting to see that documentary, but you just knew this is where it's going to click for me. And this is how I'm going to get to where I want to go. This is my path. Cause now there's a lot of different ways to get where you are. Like there's social media and all kinds of things. There's the variety shows, but for you, this path worked out the best for you. I wanted something tactile. I wanted okay. something substantive. And um, I, uh, I, I, I look, I came from a different era, too. Uh, yeah, there's all kinds of avenues where you can develop your notoriety. And I may be old school in saying this, but you still need to be good. Yeah, no, I don't think that's old school. I mean, I think talent is always going to hopefully be the forefront of any comedians or actors that's what's going to fuel the train. Absolutely. Hopefully. You still got to know how to work a room. I mean, you still got to, you still have to have the fundamental skills of, of course, of, yeah. of joke structure and, and appeal. And, and, um, you know, you need that, that, uh, that showbiz savvy, man, you need to, you need to want the buzz. 
my buddy used to tell a story about being at the Friars Roast years ago when um, uh, um, a, a famous comedian, uh, Sid Caesar, was being attended to in the audience by his uh, handler. And he was old and damn near incoherent. Uh, and uh, people are saying, what? He's going to get on stage? He's going to perform? And he's carried gingerly up the steps. And as soon as the light hits him, boom, he kills. And that's it. I, it it's, it's like that moment in, um, in the book where I talk about Don Rickles being my host at my JFL gala, Just for Laughs gala, uh, my first gala when I started out. I was doing a bit about, you know, camping. Uh, you know, camping besides some uh, uh, camping's fun in the daytime. As soon as the sun goes down, everything that eats meat wakes up. I was pretty <laughs> safe, though. I camped beside some Germans. God bless them with their accent. will scare anything. Ich bin liebende Ausne uns, liebende Ausne schnell. Ich kann der Rausne Ausne liebende und liebende Ausne. And they were only trying to set the tent up. Anyway, Rickles comes up to me afterwards and says, that was a great bit, kid. And that to me, that to me was collateral, soul collateral for the road I was only beginning to travel. I mean, and I blazed my trail around the frozen lip of Lake Superior by myself in February. And... Uh, but to get back to what you said about knowing your path and discovering another path than the one I went to in California, if you pardon the historic analogy, but there was a Klondike gold rush way back in 1898. And that was just came on the tail end of a huge American depression in the 1870s. And people literally dropped what they were doing and jumped steamers in Seattle and headed up for the Yukon. Well, a lot of people who went there never found their gold, but a famous poet, Robert Service, found his muse, and he went on to write about those experiences. And for me, anyway, I've always gained a certain degree of, um, of sustenance from the struggle of the people who've come before, and I'm going, okay, I'm not alone in this. I'm not alone in blazing this trail. Look, man, these vaudevillians toured North America at the turn of the century. There was one dude who played Toronto, had an act called Wanda the Seal with a Human Brain. You had to travel the highways and byways of America on a dirt road and a bus with jugglers and tap dancers with a seal beside him. Where do you get seal food in Ohio? So a lot of people have struggled. And I think the generation prior to, I think if you, if, you know, if you take a certain degree of solace from generations that came before you, um, everybody struggled and there's no guarantees, especially in our business. And so you make the best of it and you just keep moving forward every day. You just keep working. Absolutely amazing, Ron. I, I just find what you do, generally speaking, as a comedian, so fascinating. As I said in our in my intro that's why I talk to so many comedians because every conversation is different. Every path is different. There's really no cookie cutter way to get to that place where you're at. None. It's different. You can't, I often like ask some of the older seasoned comedians, you know, um, uh, I, I, their names are escaping me at, at the moment. George Wallace. I asked him, I said, do you ever have young people come up to you and ask you for advice? or come to you and want to ask you questions. And he says, I don't have anything to give them other than 
just do what you're doing and be the very best that you can be at it. And that's all I can tell you. Like, I can't tell you, I can tell you, get up as many nights as you can a week, five, six, seven nights a week, you know, just perfect. That's what Carlin said, stage time, stage time, stage time. Russell Peters tells a story. Um, uh, Russell, uh, I worked with Russell um, several times over the years before his uh, his star, before, you know, his trajectory hit. And he used to tell a story about walking on with his buddies uh, on Young Street in Toronto. And this guy passes him and he goes, geez, that's George Carlin, George Carlin. And he goes back and it's Carlin. And he says to Carlin, hey, look, I'm an aspiring comedian. Is there anything you can tell me? Anything? You know, what we're looking for is an answer. And Carlin looks at him. He says, stage time, stage time, stage. It's it. It's like a hockey player. It's like an athlete. You have to do it every day. You just got to. And if you're not doing it, you should be writing it. If you're not writing it, you should be thinking about what you're going to write. And I don't know about other comedians, but I talked to a famous Canadian author on the weekend. I was in... um, I was in this province uh, of Canada, way in the East Coast, a magical little corner called Newfoundland, a beautiful place. And uh, there was a, an award-winning, a killer award-winning author there. And he talked about, his latest book is about processing trauma. And he said, you have, to, you have to find some creative way to process. And he talked about veterans at the Legion just getting around and having drinks and talking about the good times they had, which is what my uncles would talk about in World War II, but they would never get into the details of having their buddies vaporized beside them, you know, but they were processing it in their own way. And I think that's what comedians do. And I'm not saying everybody is traumatized, but uh, I guess we all are in one way or another. Sure. And, and the comedian uh, finds his way through the world Um via the avenue of laughter and i i just really like seeing people laughing yeah i mean that has to be like i do a podcast and i don't get necessarily immediate feedback or immediate responses from people Uh but as a comedian you go up on stage and you tell a joke that has to be the most instant feedback that you can get in any sort of anything because if people laugh it's funny and then you can adjust or maybe if they laugh at certain parts you change things or work things economy of words but really like you know right away if this is going to work or not and that's what makes what you do i think so special and unique because you like to see people laugh you like to bring people joy and you have to thrive off of that as a human. That has to be fuel in your gas tank, mostly. It is fuel in your gas tank, and and it's um, as I say, it's a validation of the life of the of life course. force. Yeah. Yet, I mean, I'm gonna put a little warning in here. When it becomes a necessary narcotic <laughs> in order to function, right? Yeah. No, I've talked to plenty of who deep. it is. Yeah, yeah, you're in too deep, man. And uh, I, uh, because you begin to take it for granted. I said, why would you ever take this wonderful gift for granted? It's, um, and I don't know if, 
you know, it's like Warren Zevon says, a fate worse than fame. And uh, it's, uh, or said rather, and fame adds an entire new wrinkle to everything, right? And uh, that's why just, see, fame doesn't exist in Canada. It's an oxymoron. It really is. You know, celebrity in Canada means you're drinking for free north of the tree line. And <laughs> okay. it, it's, uh, you know, pardon the tree line reference to someone in Sacramento. Uh, but uh, it's, okay. uh, <laughs> it's uh, uh, which is wild country, by the way. If you get a chance to see the Arctic, it'll blow you away. It's it's just it's just incredible. But I mean, and you have to see it within the next ten or fifteen years because I mean, it's really it's really melting at an inordinate and grotesque rate. It's heinous, quite frankly. But I mean, there's animals showing up there like Noah's Ark dropped them off at the wrong beach. It's just <laughs> insane. But uh, I, um, uh, that's 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 the warning, and you know, it's that's why Billy Conley said that. You know, chase fame, see what that does to your soul. And and wasn't Jim Carrey wasn't Jim Carrey quoted as saying that in some Hollywood Reporter roundtable I watched a while ago? He said, look, I wish everybody who's chasing fame and money got it because they'd realize that it's not it's not the key to happiness, man. It can't be. There's no way. And that I think is what there's no chance because I think that's what separates a successful comedian, someone who loves it for what it is. I was watching some video here recently and it was a Stanislavski quote quote Stanislavski. And basically, I totally butchered the name there, but really it was more about pursue the art for the art and enjoy it. Don't pursue it for the accruements that come with it, like the fame and the money, because even though it may or may not come, if that's truly why you're pursuing something, then you're going to be an empty person. Empty. All I ever wanted to do was make a living at something that gave me joy. Yeah. Other than an eight to five, which... A lot of us have, but well, you've, you've you know, discovered Joe, it and found it. I did. I worked Joe Jobs too. And, you know, I watched my father, you know, in the early days of his job as a phone company man, he loved his work. He was outside, he was on the road. And then he got stuck in an office and he hated it. And um, he said, uh, do something you love, Ronnie. You'll never work a day in your life. And uh, so I did. And of course, you know, deciding to leave Nova Scotia and come to Toronto to to be a comedian, I might as well have said, I'm, I'm going to the circus to eat fire. Is it what, what? I mean, this is a child, he's a child of the great depression. Right? And, uh, but, uh, he gave me a work ethic. Uh, and I think that's what bothered me the most about being an actor was sitting at home and waiting for the phone to ring. I mean, I did an awful lot of commercials. I got an awful lot of guest spots and, uh, but in those days at Second City, in Toronto anyway, uh, you know, we were doing guest spots on SCTV. We'd get a sitcom supporting role every now and then. You'd, you'd get close to maybe getting your own series. Uh, and but it was always, and lots and lots of commercials. But it was always somebody else's words. And it was never allowing, it was allowing you to make a living, but it was never allowing you to once again make sense of the world on your own terms in the language of laughter. In other words, to connect the dots and the chaos we're all walking through. And 
I don't know what it's going to be like out there now because everything's become so polarized. Everything's become so fractured. I don't know how comedians in the U.S. play New York for two weeks and then suddenly find themselves south of the Mason-Dixon line because it's not the United States. It's, it's a series of principalities that are diametrically opposed politically. Yeah, it's fascinating to me. It's super fascinating. I love this. The book is fantastic. It is all over the map, rambles and ruminations from the Canadian road. And we have been chatting with Ron James. You can connect with him on social media. We will put all of that in our show notes. Ron, thank you for joining me today on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks, Brett. You're excellent, man. Great line of questions. And I can see that you're a student of the form. Thank you. And that's a good thing. Thank you very much. That brings today's show to a close. Goodly do. Thanks for stopping by. If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to share it with a friend and subscribe. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of the guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Autobots, roll out. Go home.